Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning and Happy New Year. It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 2nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Secretary of State's office files an injunction against the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Then, 2020 is a census year. Why this year's count is vital for Mississippi communities. Plus, financial planning for the new year. And Mississippi Blood Services is in need of donors. We look at how you can help. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Secretary of State Delbert Hoseman has filed suit against the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the Mississippi River Commission, alleging an illegal release of water into the Mississippi Sound from the repeated openings of the Bonnie Carey Spillway. Hoseman tells MPB's Michael Guidry the infiltration of fresh water into the Mississippi Sound has caused devastating effects across the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Well, it's a preliminary it's a preliminary injunction, and uh, it's a request for the Southern District of Mississippi Federal Court to order the Corps of Engineers to operate the Bonnie Carey Spillway in unison with the Morganza Spillway, which opens to the other side of the Mississippi River. Uh, during the last year, uh, the Bonnie Carey Spillway was opened and averaged 150,000 cubic feet per second of muddy water that was dumped on Mississippi. The Morganza Spillway, which is open to the other side of the river, uh, was not opened at all. Had zero gallons going down the other side. So Mississippi, we believe, was arbitrarily and capriciously by the Corps of Engineers endangered and, in fact, killed all of our oysters, most of our shrimp, many of our mammals. We had an algae bloom. Our tourism got, fell off. All of those are a direct result of the Corps of Engineers not managing the Mississippi River in, in a normal manner. They're doing it arbitrarily and capriciously, in my view, to harm the state of Mississippi. Is the injunction designed to prevent this kind of thing from happening, or are you also seeking some type of damage from the Army Corps? 
No, this injunction is to stop what I refer to as stop the bleeding, which we want to stop Bonnie Carey being opened without Morganza being opened simultaneously. The actual damages that are arrived, and we have preliminary estimates that damages are approximately $215 million just last year alone. Those damages will be pursued in separate litigation. Oh, have those motions already been filed? Is that something that's still underway? No. The only thing that's been filed would be the litigation alleging that they are arbitrary and capricious in, in operating the Bonnie Carey, so it will be stopped from this year flooding us again. Now, we'll go back. Uh, as I mentioned, the most important thing is stopping the bleeding. We want them to stop flooding Mississippi solely. And after that, we can determine uh, on, at a later date how much damages have actually been done to the state. Since your tenure as Secretary of State is coming to a close within a few weeks, have you coordinated with Secretary of State-elect on this litigation and what it means going forward for the state of Mississippi? But Michael Watson was at the hearing today. I briefed him yesterday, and he was here briefed again with the lawyers before before this, and is fully supportive. And I also briefed, briefed Lynn Fitch, the incoming attorney general, and she is also supportive. There is no – I've not been able to reach a conclusion that there is any prudent explanation for this. Uh, I, I testified, I wrote letters to the Corps last summer, again in August. I testified for the Mississippi River Commission in August. And all of uh, all my correspondence and all my testimony, I received uh, a, like a two-page letter saying that, that uh, they didn't open Morganza, and I'm not so, I'm not confident they'll ever open Morganza again um, while they're, you know, inundating Mississippi. And I just, I got no indication that we would get relief here, so... That's what's really perpetrated this this initial discussions and this initial filing of this lawsuit. Delbert Hoseman begins his term as Lieutenant Governor of Mississippi next week. Coming up, 2020 is a census year. Why this year's count is vital for Mississippi communities. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Listening to Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This year, the U.S. Census Bureau will conduct its un, its constitutionally required count of people inhabiting the United States. The Mississippi Complete Count Committee is tasked with making sure Mississippians are accurately included in this decade's count. Giles Ward is the chairman of the committee. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood how the committee plans on reaching residents of the state. This committee was formed in August by a gubernatorial executive order. Governor Phil Bryant established the committee, and at that time he asked me if I would serve as the chairman. And Dr. John Green from the University of Mississippi serves as vice chairman. And then uh, Emily Kruger, an attorney with the governor's office, serves as our secretary. The progress has involved appointing quite a number of significant Mississippi leaders to serve as subcommittee chairmen in their designated areas of expertise. All of this is designed to help us be able to get the word out to as many Mississippians as we possibly can of the importance of being counted in the 2020 census. 
What are some challenges you foresee or some challenges maybe that you already see um, in trying to get people motivated about participating? One of the greatest challenges that particularly the state of Mississippi faces, I would not be surprised to learn that this is universal with most of the states, but there is an understandable concern by many citizens to respond to somebody from the government asking questions. And uh, in Mississippi particularly, we have uh, a, a significant portion of our population who receive benefits of one type or another from the government. And they, the first red flag that goes up is a concern that perhaps they would jeopardize those benefits they're currently enjoying by divulging any additional information. Maintaining status quo in this, in that particular citizen's mind is perhaps the best protection that he or she might have. To the contrary, that's the very worst thing they could do because so many federal programs are absolutely tied to the population count that is uh, derived from the census, and it counts for 10 years. We do this every 10 years, so we don't get a second chance at this. We, well, we will, but it won't happen until 2030. So uh, that's probably the greatest challenge that we have. In terms of uh, sort of on that subject, the hard-to-reach population, um, you know, I've heard questions about, you know, well, how do you reach a homeless person or how do you reach um, an immigrant that may fear, you know, even if they are documented, maybe they have someone that's not documented living in their household. And so then there's that fear as well. How do you work with those populations? Well, that's a very good question. And uh, one of the things that we are trying to accomplish through our education program, we're trying to get respected thought leaders in every community firstly aware of the significance and importance of the census to their particular community, and then to help us push down to their constituencies and their friends uh, that there's nothing to be afraid of, that in fact this thing uh, called a census is critically important to our state, to their local county, and it actually gets down to the street they live on. So then there isn't a downside to participating There is absolutely no downside to participating. Uh, There is a huge downside to not participating. Um, Let me just give you an example. For every person that is not counted in the census, it means for adults more than $20,000 over a period of 10 years that the state of Mississippi will miss in federal programs and and benefit dollars. For a child that is missed, that number goes to over $27,000. In some of the the areas of Mississippi, in particular the Mississippi Delta, has been shown over the years to have a significant undercount, and we are wanting so desperately to get the word out. Not, not, I don't want to single them out, but that has been uh, tr- uh, traditionally the, the most difficult area, but it happens all across the state. Giles Ward is the chairman of the Mississippi Complete Count Committee. Coming up, financial planning for the new year. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. 
For details, visit mpbonline.org slash cartag. We'll see you on the road. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. For many, the new year means a chance to make financial plans or change spending habits. Ryder Taff is with financial advisors New Perspectives. He tells our Michael Guidry whether large or small, setting financial goals should start with assessing your values. What I always say, the important thing about goals is that you find uh, values of yours. You align them with your values. And that can be a lot easier place to start instead of saying, oh my gosh, you know, what is this amount of money? I mean, think about what you want. Um, so think about your goals outside of a financial context. And I know that's uh, kind of weird, but I was actually just working with a client uh, yesterday about this. And she was a young professional. She was moving. Uh, she didn't know where she wanted to settle down yet, um, but she she's said, you know, do I need to be saving for a house? Uh, but also, you know, one day I'll probably get married. Do I need to be saving for a wedding? Uh, but we were sitting there talking about her 401k and she was like, I know I need to save for retirement. And so we're trying to sort out what was the most important thing for her, what, which goals were going to be aligned with her values. And she didn't know where she wanted to settle down yet, so house wasn't really in the picture. So we, you know, kind of said, you know, that can change dramatically in the next few years. So that's doesn't really align with the value she has right now. So we weren't going to uh, work on that. Uh, she did want to get married; that was important to her. But extravagance and a big, expensive wedding was definitely not aligned with her values. So you know, hopefully, you know, when the time comes, we'll look at a lower cost way to achieve that. But something that was really important to her is when she looked to the example of her parents and her grandparents who are retired and supporting themselves off of their savings and able to also continue to support her and her siblings, uh, she realized that's what was really important to her. And so we started focusing on that long-term thing. It's very distant. It's a little vague. She doesn't know how much money she'll need for it. She's very young. But retirement was an important thing. She wanted that stability in the future, and she wanted that ability to support herself um, and others if she needed to. We start with you know identifying our values. So depending on what those are, they'll vary for everyone. But um, so what's the next step after that? You, you've identified your values. How do you then look at your finances and say, okay, this is a this is what I'm going to do first. This is what I'm going to do second, and mm-hmm. then looking at that long term goal. Well, you're gonna when you look at your values, you're gonna find you have all sorts of different goals come out of that. So you might have something super concrete. You might say, you know what, I want to go on this vacation next summer, and it's gonna cost me a thousand dollars. Fantastic! You've got a date and you've got a dollar amount, uh, and that's gonna be super easy. You know, it's a thousand dollars. It's in ten months. I need to save one hundred dollars a month. Super easy. Um, you can have less concrete things. You know, maybe you're you know aiming to retire. You know early, or maybe you want to buy a house in the next few years. You don't exactly know the dollar amount. Um, you don't exactly know the date. It's a little less concrete, but it's still a financial goal in that it costs money and it's in the future. Um, and then lastly, you can also have kind of abstract financial goals. I want to get better at saving. Uh, I want to be more consistent about putting money into my retirement account. And those are just habits that you're just going to have to work on regularly and revisit often. So it just depends on what exactly the goal ends up being, if it's concrete, if it's abstract, if it's distant, uh, what steps you're actually going to end up taking. Part of achieving goals that you set is, is the discipline it takes to really kind of follow through on that. 
what advice do you have regarding you know not only setting that goal that's the first step but but creating a, a method a system a a, a, ha- a habitual practice that allows you to to stay disciplined in reaching those goals Yes. So all financial goals, they require planning. They're goals because they're not things you can just do on a whim. You don't just wake up one day and be like, you know what? Retiring today without having done something to prepare for it. So where is that savings going to come from? And, you know, what are you going to have to cut out of your budget? What are you going to keep in your budget? Um, how does your, how has your spending aligned with your goals and values before? And how are you going to change that in the future? So, Saving is a habit that you simply have to work on. Uh, for some folks, that's just going to mean automating things, having having retirement savings come directly out of their paycheck, having all of their all of their credit card bills come on auto draft, so they don't even have the option to not pay the whole thing, uh, or even setting up a savings goal so that it's automatically taking money out of your bank account. So there's a lot of things you do just to kind of develop that habit of I need to increase the amount of savings I'm doing. Um, I need to just move the money to different accounts. What if you're someone who, you know, is just kind of intimidated and find this idea of like setting these these lofty financial goals daunting? What are some things that you can do that necessarily like aren't like resolutions, as it were, mm-hmm. but maybe you know, smaller commitments that someone can make to themselves to say, okay, I at least want to make a change in some way, shape, or form financially for myself. Developing a habit of just a small improvement every now and then. Uh, for instance, you know, throughout your career, you will hopefully receive raises. Um, and if you have some way of saving that money, an employer retirement account, a savings account, um, you know, a personal IRA or Roth IRA, Put some of that raise, put some of your bonuses into that every time you get it. Just get into that discipline habit of doing that. But also, it's really important to just show yourself how those goals you have align with your values. And when you say, you know, look, one day I want a home where I can raise my kids and or host my friends for events, you know, that's something that's important to me. Once you show how that future financial expense is connected with something you really want, that's what's going to show you this is important to me and and I'm going to reach for that goal. So a lot of times people come, whatever it is, finances, fitness, they, they set a goal in January and by February they just feel defeated because they haven't done the things that they needed. They feel like they need to do to get to that. What advice do you have for people that are intimidated and are scared of failing that they don't even bother kind of looking ahead and, and setting any type of financial goal for themselves. You know, it takes time to change habits. It takes time to grow your savings account. It takes time for all of these things to happen. And you can adjust goals along the way, but don't judge yourself too harshly for failure. Failure is a good time to recognize maybe what was my true value here. You know, if you if you say, oh my gosh, I spent too much money on dining out. Well, maybe dining out is what's important to you. And, you know, this trip that you were saving for, maybe that wasn't as important as you thought it was initially. Ryder Taff with New Perspectives, thank you for joining us and sharing some resolution advice with us. Thank y'all. Coming up, Mississippi Blood Services is in need of donors. We look at how you can help. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
What are the top 10 ways to listen to MPB Think Radio? Number 10, the iHeartRadio app. Number 9, TuneIn Radio. Number 8, Amazon Alexa. Number 7, Google Home. Number 6, Deezer. What's a Deezer? Number 5, Spotify. Number 4, Stitcher. Number 3, YouTube. To listen to a radio station? Yeah, all the kids do that now. Number 2, Apple. And the number one way to listen to MPB Think Radio? The MPB Public Media app. Free in the iTunes and Google Play Store. What about just over the radio in the car? Yeah, you can do that too. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi needs blood donors. Emily Austin is the Marketing and Communications Manager for Mississippi Blood Services. She tells our Ashley Norwood the current shortage extends beyond the state. We've had several ebbs and flows, but more um, of a need, especially with that O-negative and platelet donors. We really need those units to constantly come in. And what's impacted us the most this year is it's not just a Mississippi problem, but it's a nationwide issue, which comes into play where when we're short, we typically reach out to our partners through Blood Centers of America. But everyone's been short across the country. So we've had a real hard time getting the units that we need for our patients. How much would you say you have on the shelf today? Um, Right now, we are able to meet hospital needs. So that's always a good day. I can't say how long that will last, but as of this very moment, we're just able to meet hospital need. You, you mentioned earlier, but if you could just go back and state um, the kind of blood needed and what types of patients need that kind of blood. Sure. We always need all types of blood. All We're not type specific as to what we're asking for, with the exception of O negative. And the reason that is so critically important, because in the case of an emergency situation where there's not time to type a patient, they're going to give you O negative blood. And unfortunately, that's not one that comes in the door on a regular basis. Um, So we're we're always in a shortage for O negative. And then we're always in shortage for platelets. And platelets are important because that's what cancer treatment uses um, burn victims use that trauma patients use platelets and they have such they're so fragile they have a very short shelf life they are only um, viable for about five days after donated so um, we need people to constantly come in and donate those talk about the process of giving blood if for someone who maybe they've never given blood where do they start what does it look like how long does it take sure um, it's not as scary as people might think it would be. It's actually takes about an hour from the time you walk in to the time you are sitting in the canteen with your juice and cookies. So when you come in, we're going to ask you um, a whole bunch of health-related questions, and that's to make sure that you are healthy and well and eligible to donate. We're going to check your iron. You get kind of a mini physical. We're going to check your height, weight, like I said, your iron. Um, and about 48 hours after you donate, you'll get your cholesterol results. So we'll get that for you too. Once you are finished with that, that process takes about 15 minutes. Then you're going to go and we're going to hook you up to one of the machines. And the actual active donation process is anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. The average person is about 15. So it's really not that long. Um, And it's really just a a tiny pinch in your arm and then you don't even realize anything's going on. So once you finish that donation process, we're going to ask you to wait about 10 minutes in the canteen, have some juice or some water, um, some cookies, and then you're you're done. And in that time, you have saved three lives. 
Is there any um, downside to giving blood? None whatsoever. You actually burn about 500 calories when you donate blood. So if we're looking for positives, there's a huge one right there. And to really enhance your donation, eat a good meal about four hours before you come donate and make sure you're really hydrated. Drink a lot of water before you come and donate. And then be sure to donate, or I'm sorry, be sure to hydrate well afterwards. Um, And that's going to improve the way that you feel. So where can people go to donate? I mean, we have the center here, but across the state, are there any active blood drives we should be aware of? Sure. We have fixed sites here in Flowood, and we have one in Oxford as well as Greenville. And we have blood drives across the state all day, every day. And the best way to find the closest one to you is to either download our free app or visit our website, which is msblood.com. Any, anyone can donate as long as they are 16 years old um, and have parental consent and weigh at least 110 pounds. And donating blood is really and truly the best gift that you can give because I can guarantee there's a patient right now waiting on a unit. And it might just be the unit that you donate. Emily Austin with the Mississippi Blood Services. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.